0: We'll open up your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 24. We are taking a little three-week break. This is the last of those three weeks from our study of the book of Romans. Next Sunday, we will pick up uh, in Romans where we left off, starting in chapter 10. We'll be reading this morning from Proverbs, chapter 24. Starting in verse 10, hear the word of the Lord. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those that are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his works? Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your living, supernatural, inerrant word. Lord, we rejoice in this good gift that you had given to us, that through your word, by your spirit, we have been brought from death to life. We have been rescued. Lord, I pray this morning, by your spirit, through your word, that you would draw our hearts to see your glory. Draw our hearts to see the depths from which we ourselves have been rescued. Lord, motivate us to faithfulness for your kingdom's sake, because of the work that you have done in us by your Son through your Spirit. pray for myself this morning as I proclaim your word, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and that is the Sunday closest to the date that the Supreme Court committed what is the greatest injustice in American history, and yesterday was the 49th anniversary of the darkest day in American history. Not Tom Johns' birthday, <laughs> but, in fact, uh, the handing down of the Roe versus Wade decision legalizing the abortion of children in all 50 states. And in that 49 years some 650 million little boys and girls, sons and daughters, children created in the image of God have been slaughtered in American wombs. That's just American. That's not even counting the babies who have been killed by abortifacient birth control, which is most of it, by in vitro fertilization practices. To to put all of this in perspective, these staggering numbers, we can't even wrap our minds around. Those of you that are old enough to remember the horror of the 9-11 terrorist attacks, it's basically that day every single day in America. That's the numbers. Abortion is the preeminent injustice of our times, maybe of all times. And so we are not free to wash our hands of it. We are not free to turn our eyes from it. We're not free to leave it up to others to deal with. Our tax dollars are paying for this. Our government is approving this. This is our issue. We, the the, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are the ones called to stop it. There's nobody else. It's us. And I want to say up front, some of you may have been involved in abortion in some way. You've had one. You have a loved one that has had one. Maybe you helped someone get one. The goal this morning is not to heap condemnation on you, quite the opposite. If you're in Christ, he's paid your penalty just like he has paid mine. Isaiah 53.5 says he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds we are healed. Romans 8 verse 1 says there is... Therefore, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't want to add to your pain. In fact, I pray that you would be comforted. But all of our hearts should be broken by our sin, our own personal sin, and all of our hearts should be broken over this great national sin. James chapter 1, verse 27 says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, To visit widows and orphans in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now if God is going to tell us what is pleasing to him, the, the, the religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father, if God's going to say, this is what I'm looking for out of you, we ought to lean in close and listen to whatever it is he's about to say. And what does he tell us? A major component of this is helping those who are in desperate need. Here in James he says, orphans and widows. Why orphans and widows? Well, in the ancient world, there was nobody more desperate than orphans or widows. God's people had to intervene or they likely would not survive. And so what God says to his people is, you want to know what I'm looking for out of you, the kind of religion that I desire, that I'm pleased with? Intervene. Intervene in this world around you. That's what I'm looking for from you. As, as, as terrible and devastating as those circumstances were for, for widows and for orphans in the ancient world, tris, children facing abortion are far worse off. It's not even close. John, John Piper says, commenting on James chapter 1, verse 27, since God commands believers to care for children whose parents have been killed, he would also have us care for the children whose parents want to kill them. But God's command to us is even stronger than this here in James chapter 1, verse 27. It's not just that we're to visit them in their affliction. We're called to do something far more dangerous. And here we have this command in Proverbs chapter 24. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? Will he not repay man according to his work? It's one thing to provide shelter and food and money for people who are in need of those things. It is quite another thing to actively intervene for people who are about to get murdered. It's a much scarier proposition. But what are God's people commanded to do in the face of violent, murderous injustice? We are commanded to come to the rescue of the victims. We're commanded to intervene. The word here, rescue, it's an imperative. It's a, it's a command. It, it's active, it's not passive. You can't passively rescue someone. Christian, we're commanded to do this. In fact, for the rest of this sermon, as best as I can, I'll use the word you, not we. Of course, I put myself in this as well, but I want you to feel the weight. Of what God's Word says to us. You are commanded to do this. You're commanded to intervene on behalf of those who are being led away to the slaughter. Christ has rescued you, Christian, and so you must rescue as well. And if we refuse, then the blood of those innocent victims is on our hands. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says He who passively accepts accepts evil is as involved in it as he who perpetrated it. To stand by and watch and not care, to stand by and watch and do nothing is not the command of the Christian. And then any wiggle room is removed from us in verse 12 here in Proverbs 24, where the psalm's author, which is David, anticipates that we might try to defend ourselves by saying, I didn't know. That's why I didn't act. I didn't know about it. We didn't didn't realize what was going on, and what does he say? Basically, friend, that's not going to work. You do know. You do know what's going on. And and, and the psalmist says, God knows your heart. You, You might say, I didn't know, so my hands are clean of this, but he says, no, God actually knows your heart. He knows you know. Verse, verse 10 in, in Proverbs 24 reveals the problem is not a lack of knowledge, it's a lack of courage. The problem is cowardice, not ignorance. False claims to ignorance will not do us any good on the day of judgment. We, we will be repaid, this proverb says, according to our work. was awfully difficult. Of course, Proverbs 24, he he doesn't get real specific about what it means. Rescue those who are being led away to the slaughter. It could be all kinds of things that are in mind here, and certainly they are, but it's awfully hard in the year 2022, living in the United States of America, to read this passage and come up with a more fitting application for it Then the government approved, taxpayer funded, nationally celebrated, legally protected, systematic execution of the most vulnerable among us in modern day extermination camps across the country. It's pretty hard to come up with something more fitting than that for, for an application for this passage. And God says to us, no, actually God commands us, Christian, God commands you Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Again, there are many applications for this passage that are right and are appropriate, but you will not find another injustice in America today for which Proverbs 24, 11 could be more applicable than abortion. God speaking through David doesn't say as we look at people being carried off to death, as we look at those being being taken off to the slaughter, he doesn't say pray for those who are being taken away to death. He doesn't say wish for them not to be slaughtered or long for the day that they won't be carried off or regulate at least how many can be slaughtered. Note, Christian, God commands you to rescue so here's the question, and, and really examine yourselves. The message this morning is not one of condemnation or finger-pointing. It is one that just says, let's examine ourselves. Have you obeyed this command from the Lord when it comes to 65 million of your neighbors that have been taken away to the slaughter? Commanded by God to intervene, commanded by God to rescue Let's just examine ourselves. Have I obeyed this command from the Lord when it pertains to this grave injustice, this holocaust? And if you're saying to yourself quickly, yes, if you're ready now to tune this sermon out, okay, I know what we got, right, I'm on this team, as being for someone else, let me just ask you, if you gave a quick yes, how? How? if you're being obedient to God's command to rescue those being taken off to the slaughter, how are you doing it? How are you, Christian, obeying this command specifically as it relates to the Holocaust around you? I just hope we'll examine ourselves this morning. Brett Baggett, a pastor from Oklahoma, says this. Close your eyes. See 65 million slaughtered babies in your mind. See the forceps breaking their skulls, ripping their limbs off. See the poison pumped in and burn them alive. See the vacuum sucking them out into a container. See the womb made uninhabitable through pills that lead to the baby to be discarded. And then hear this command in your ears. Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. Again, the purpose of this message this morning is not condemnation or judgment, finger-pointing, accusation. In fact, I want to dispense grace to you. I want to dispense grace to us. We need it. We need grace. We need the Spirit of God to move on our hearts, convicting us of sin, granting us repentance, motivating us to works of love and faithfulness. Motivating us to intervene, even in the most hostile of environments, to rescue those who are being carried off to the slaughter. And again, I I just want to say, because it matters, this passage is not talking about abortion. It's talking about those who are being carried off to the slaughter, those who are being led away to death. But if we won't apply this to abortion, we won't apply it to anything. So how do we do that? What can we do? I do want to apply this passage directly to abortion for us this morning, on this Sanctity of Life Sunday. How can this little church from Topeka make a difference? How can we as individuals obey this command? What should we do? How do we obey God's command here in Proverbs 24 as it relates to the abortion holocaust going on around us? Well, last weekend, if you were here for the movie that we showed, the storm comes rolling down the plain. We were given at the very end of that movie in the epilogue, five helpful action steps. And I just want to use those. I jotted those down as we watched the movie and thought, that's going to be the framework I'm going to work out of on this Sunday to help us apply this command to our lives. And so that's, that's the framework I want to build off of. What were those five action steps they did? What, what can we do to obey this command of God in our lives, in our world, in our setting, as it pertains to this Holocaust of abortion that's going on? Number one is reject the approval of murder. And again, these five things come from, from this film, not from me. Reject the approval of murder. For almost 50 years, all manner of pro-life legislation has been put forward. And you may, you may have heard this morning, and you may hear some morning someone share things about, about the pro-life movement, and it makes your head spin. And you're like, I thought that's our team. Like, we're pro-life, right? And the answer is, yeah, I'm pro-life, definitely. I'm, I'm not pro-abortion, But it maybe makes your head spin and you say, why are we talking about this? Well, the truth is, in 50 years of legislation, at times where there has been an overwhelming pro-life Republican majority controlling almost everything on a federal level, and in Indiana, that's always the case. We always have an overwhelming Republican pro-life majority. Yet in spite of this, since 1973, virtually nothing has changed in the battle against abortion. We're not doing anything. In fact, in states all across the country, whenever a bill, as was mentioned this morning, is put forward that would actually end abortion, outlaw it, it never even makes it to a vote. It gets shut down by those people who are taking the money and running on the platform of being pro-life. They're the ones shutting it down. It's not the liberals. It's the conservatives. It's the pro-lifers. The Republicans, they're killing the bills. This has happened, as you heard this morning, six years in a row in Indiana, where our overwhelming Republican majority, candidates who run as the pro-life candidate, have with a virtually unified voice opposed all legislation that would end abortion killing it before it even gets a hearing. The liberals don't have to resist it because the conservatives won't let it get to their ears. Think about that. Our state representatives, and I mean ours, like our community's state representatives oppose these bills. Our our pro-life representatives who we vote for because of their strong pro-life stance oppose these, the ones from our community. Actually, I don't have to say their names because if their name is not Kurt Nisley or John Jacob, they oppose these bills. So all you have to do is look and go, who's my representative? Who did I vote for? They oppose these bills. I hope that that shocks you and makes you kind of mad. Despite their claims to oppose abortion and want to end it, when they are given the opportunity to support a bill that is looking to actually end it, not only do they not support it, they actively oppose it. Instead, they work for and support and fund pro-life secular incremental bills. These bills basically tell murderers how and when they can kill people. We're just going to set some rules for you in you're killing It's like the purge. We're going to set some rules for you. You're killing these parameters and it's fine. You don't know what the purge is because you're Christians. You don't watch movies like that. So here's what a a typical secular pro-life bill says. It says the murderer can dismember their victim. The murderer can burn a child to death. The murderer can suck their parts out with a vacuum as long as a doctor with a license is present in the building. As long as they bury their victim in a box when they're done. As long as somebody in the room looks at a picture of the victim before they do it. You can murder them, but you got to jump through these hoops first if you're going to do that. And so, so our representatives, our local representatives, kill any bill that seeks to end abortion and instead celebrate vigorously and publicly these kind of bills. When we have a great pro-life victory, it's a bill like this. Murder them by all means, but here's a hoop to jump through first. And we call that a win. These bills very often don't save any lives. They are so easy to work around. You have to, you have to ha- show an, an ultrasound to the person before they get abortion. I can tell you this. The kind folks at Planned Parenthood are not showing people their ultrasounds. They are pulling it up on a screen that they don't let the people look at, and then they have jumped through their hoop, and then they murder that child. Here's here's what's even worse. If Roe versus Wade was overturned tomorrow, if we woke up tomorrow and heard the glorious news that Roe versus Wade had been overturned, You know how many states abortion would still be legal in? Zero, right? No, 50. Every state, it would still be legal. How can that be if Roe versus Wade gets overturned? Here's how it can be. Because when these secular pro-life bills get passed, they make abortion legal under these circumstances. So we could overturn Roe versus Wade, and it will still be legal in every state because of pro-life bills. By regulating abortion, they legalize abortion. If it's not clear what I'm getting at here, let me just say it plainly. These bills that legalize and regulate the slaughter of children are an abomination in the sight of a holy God. They're evil. They're wicked. And most of us and most of the people trying to work for them consider them to be doing a great deal of good because we think we've possibly moved the ball just a little bit down the field. It's just simply not true. Imagine in Nazi Germany, a group of pro-life Jewish activists and, and legislators working so hard to pass a law that says, you can still murder the Jew, of course, but only if he's demonstrably of lower intelligence than the average person. You can kill the Jew only if he has some kind of detectable physical defect. You can kill the Jew only if he's not old enough or he's too old to do productive physical work or or if there's a licensed doctor on site when you gas him. That's the only way you can kill the Jew. You can kill the Jew only if you promise to bury him after you dismember him. And then standing outside Auschwitz, standing outside Dachau, while Jews are actively being slaughtered and the smell of the gas chambers is filling the air, these activists and legislators are high-fiving each other and patting each other on the back for their great life-saving work. Tell me, how do you suppose history would remember them? Well, they moved. there were like five Jews that didn't get killed because... Of our legislation. No, the history would remember them as deceptively either men, evil men on the one hand, or as naive, misguided fools on the other, but they would not be heroes, correct? In this nation, every day, thousands of babies are being taken away to death. They are doing so with the full blessing of our government who we support with our tax dollars that have the words in God we trust printed on them they are doing so on the strength of legalizing secular pro-life laws laws that say by all means murder the child but first jump through this little hoop and then our legislators pat themselves on the back. They accept their rewards of congratulation. They continue to get reelected by pro-life voters. And they are fully committing, committed to killing next year's bill that would seek to end abortion. Just like they killed this year's bill that would seek to end abortion and the bill last year that seeks to end abortion. So one of the first things we can do is to reject all the approval of murder, and say to these politicians, you say that you want to end abortion, put your reputation where your mouth is. Secondly, what can we do? Demand our governing authorities to establish equal justice, judge justly, and stop showing partiality. We must demand that our legislators make it illegal to murder babies. Why do we even have to say that sentence? That they're not something less than human. Our legislators must not show sinful partiality. Psalm 82, verse 2 says, How long will you judge unjustly and show impartiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is the duty of our governing authorities. Their authority, Paul says in Romans 13, comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from the voters. Judge justly, with no partiality. Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Rescue the weak. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. This is your call, rulers, legislators. And the truth is, everyone actually knows that the preborn child is a person, all of this partiality is coming from the claim that, well, it's something less than. I mean, I know the, 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 the baby, the, the fetus is not going to one day turn into a giraffe. It's definitely going to turn into a person, but they're not a person yet. Everyone knows it is a person, right? This, this is why the, the, vocally, the vocally out there pro, pro-abortion celebrities grieve their miscarriages publicly. It's why they're distraught and in pain, because they know this is a precious living child. It's why most states, including Indiana, have fetal homicide laws. We're, we're killing an unborn child is treated as a homicide. If you kill a pregnant mother and her baby, you are charged with two counts of murder, not just one, because we know. So, in Indiana, it's illegal to take the life of, of the preborn. It's, it's murder, in fact, if the mother doesn't want you to do it. But if the mother does want you to do it, there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. Go ahead. In the first case, the law treats the child as a human with rights. In the second case, the law treats the child as subhuman with no rights. This is partiality. This is wicked. This is unjust. We must demand that our governing authorities repent of this. It's shameful. Demand that they legislate impartially, establish justice in this land. Third, what can you do? Reject any medicines that kill babies. Now there's a lot that can be said about assorted medication and vaccines and their connection to abortion. Some, many even, are created using Aborted fetal tissue. Now, this may surprise you, but I did not have the time this week to become an expert on vaccines. I know, it's shocking. So what I'm not going to do this morning is spout off my ignorance on something that I don't really have expertise in. In fact, I'm not a huge fan of pastors dispensing medical advice, which one of the wonderful gifts of COVID is that all people now, regardless of education, are experts in the medical field, which is a real delight. And pastors are expected to be that. You're expected to speak on it, and my answer is always uh, a short one. No. No, I'm not. I'm not an expert on that. Here's what I do know, though, and I will speak on this. Many forms of birth control are abortifacient. They kill babies. They don't prevent pregnancy. They kill the baby. When Andrea and I were a young married couple, no one told us that the contraceptive they gave us most often didn't prevent pregnancy, it killed the baby. We didn't know that. We thought, here, you take this magic pill and you don't get pregnant and it's great. When we learned the truth, we were heartbroken. We were devastated. How could we have done this? It was a couple years we were taking this medication. So when we talked to the doctor about finding one that didn't kill, that we could be sure it never works that way, it revealed the doctor doesn't want to have this conversation. The doctor does not want to talk to us about this. The doctor is being evasive about this. He was irritated that we had asked him the question. Many birth control forms do this. They may prevent pregnancy or they may kill the baby, and you don't know which thing is happening. Christians, we ought to reject that then. We ought to reject any medicine that ends a human life. Further, many of the processes of in vitro fertilization are designed to create more babies than are ever intended to be kept alive more babies than are ever intended to be born. Sometimes it's a matter of putting those babies on ice and we just keep them cryogenically frozen. With no intention of them being implanted or born, they're just going to be there. Often, though, there's the abortion of one or more babies in the womb so that the mother can have one baby. So we're going to implant several babies, and as they grow, we'll kill the rest and we'll keep the one, and what a happy family we'll have together. And friends, I know these are sensitive topics. Many of us in in our families have been involved in some way with these assorted topics. Our hearts grieve over those who want to have natural children that they have not been able to have. And yet we must not knowingly participate in the killing of children. We must not. We must not try to hide our head in the sand. Well, this is an uncomfortable topic. I don't want to bring this up. I was thinking this while I was typing these notes. Well, I might make somebody mad if I mention in vitro fertilization. We can't hide our head in the sand and be afraid if we know the truth. What God's Word says is, you know the truth. We can't try to suppress our conscience on the matter because it will be awkward or inconvenient or scary or someone might get upset with us. Fourth, then, what can you do? Go to the abortion clinic. This is not just for Brent and his family. Praise God for the faithfulness, the courage, for this burden that the Lord has placed on their heart to the point that they are planning now to take a scary risk and go into full-time missions work doing this. It's not just for them, though. It's not just for Joel. Every month, we have the church at Whole Women's Health, we call it, in South Bend. We gather at the abortion clinic in South Bend that is is open illegally, by the way. It's doing these things illegally. And we gather there to worship Christ. We gather there to, to interpose on behalf of those who are being carried off to the slaughter. This has actually attracted quite a bit of attention, this gathering that happens out there in places around the country. And it came out of this church. It started right here. It started at Maple Grove. We wanted to find a way to get Christians involved. Actually, we wanted to provide a way for Maple Grove's Christians to get involved. That was the original hope in all of it. It's a scary thing and not, really un- and not really realistic to look around and say, why don't you drive an hour, go to the abortion clinic, and stand out there alone while people might threaten to murder you. Most Christians are going to go, I think I will take a pass. But you know what we could do? We could gather together in a big group and go out there at the same time and exalt the name of Christ and make our presence felt out there. Christ's church at the very gates of hell. Worshiping Christ, proclaiming his lordship. Going to the abortion clinic is a scary thing. It's a dark place. It's a demonic, evil place. Ask, ask Brent and Joel, who've been going for, for a long time now, and they'll tell you they're scared when they go out there. That, that's the reality. But beloved, we, we can do this. We can, we can do it. Like, you can do it. Not, not, not just them as representatives of our church. You can do it. You can come, even once a month, come once a month to the church at Whole Women's Health. There's a big enough group of us out there that it feels totally safe. You're not alone. You're not carrying the burden on your own. Once a month, we could go and make a real live difference. And I'll tell you my dream and my prayer. It's that every single member of Maple Grove Church would have a desire to be at these gatherings. That you would want to. That you'd have a desire to be there. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly because sometimes I hear I, I say things and then I hear later like different pockets of people are talking like, Pastor Jason said we're sinning if we don't do this thing. So let's just be real clear. That way if anybody accuses me of that to you, you can go, no, I was listening and you weren't. <laughs> Did I say you were sinning if you don't go? I absolutely did not say that you're sinning if you don't go. I don't believe that to be true. I wouldn't say that. There are plenty of times I can't be there myself. Some have physical limitations that really don't make it possible for them to be out there. I did not say you are sinning if you don't go. Did I even say you might be sinning if you don't go? No, I did not. So let me say that now. You might be sinning. You might be sinning if you don't go. It might be cowardice that's making you not go. It might be apathy that's making you not go. It might be selfishness that's making you not go. Let me be perfectly clear, though. I am not accusing any un, anyone of sin. I did not do that. Only God knows your heart. I do not know your heart. In fact, I've had many conversations where I've said, I will not allow a person to have a microphone in this church that's going to look at you and accuse you of sin in this area. Because they don't know your heart. But here's what I am saying. You examine your heart. You examine your own heart. Be willing to let God convict you. Ask yourselves, how am I being obedient to God's command to rescue those who are being carried off to the slaughter? If you, don't, if you haven't gone out there with us, if you don't feel like that's something you wanted to do, it's not necessarily the case that you're sinning, but friend, you might. and you should examine your heart before the Lord. Let him do that. You should. Care. By the way, if you might be sinning, you should care about that and ask the Lord. I'm not accusing anyone. Like I said, I can't, I can't always be out there. My goal this morning is that you would just examine your hearts before the Lord. All of us would. Fifth, then, what can you do? Proclaim the horrors of abortion and point everyone to Christ crucified. It's a big part of what we do in the church at Whole Women's Health. It's to glorify Christ, and it is to expose the horrors of abortion. See, people drive by that building. People drive by a Planned Parenthood, and it looks like a nice, clean, safe facility. And people are being murdered inside it doesn't look like the kind of place where murder happens it's, it's so sanitized, and so there is a need to call attention to what's happening behind those closed doors just, just just being there does that just there being something that a group of people care enough about to stand out there, just praying, just holding signs and Maybe you're thinking, I don't want to go out there because I know what some of those signs look like. Those signs are graphic. I don't like that. I don't like that kind of ministry. Number one, we're not holding those signs out at the county fair. That's an abortion clinic where they're murdering people. We're just holding up a picture. It wasn't made by Hollywood. It's a picture of what they've done and what they're doing. Are those signs graphic and offensive? You better believe they are. So, is that wrong? Many Christians would say yes. We don't want to be like those Christians out there with those graphic signs. Many of you have heard the name Emmett Till before. 14 year old in 1955. Lived in Chicago, but was visiting family in Money, Mississippi. And he went into a little grocery store and he had the audacity to speak to the 21 year old gal who worked there, Carolyn Bryant. He either just spoke to her, he might have whistled at her. He might have gotten her change, his change back and said, "Thanks, babe." Accounts vary. Several nights later, August 28, 1955, her husband and his half-brother kidnapped Emmett Till at gunpoint from his grandfather's house, took him to a barn and tortured him to death. Murdered him. When, when his body was discovered in the river three days later, he was totally unrecognizable. For the sake of the children, I won't go into the specifics of what they did to him. What was done to him was so brutal, though, the only way they could identify him was because of a ring that he had on his finger. He was completely unrecognizable other than that. The local sheriff then pushed for immediate burial. We don't need this out there. We got to put an end to all of this real quick. We don't want to draw attention to this. We don't want anyone to see what's been done to Emmett Till here in our community. Emmett's mother in Chicago rallied the state officials to demand that his body be returned to Chicago because they weren't going to do it. They were just going to put him in the ground, get him out of sight, don't let anyone see, keep people from knowing. They they were so committed to getting him in the ground in Mississippi that when the order finally came through, they had to break up the burial. They were already putting him in the ground. Emmett's body then was shipped home to Chicago in a sealed casket, and the funeral director was prohibited from opening the casket. They sent it home sealed, said, you are not allowed to open it, and so Emmett's mom tried to get the lid off herself. The funeral director tried to stop it, that it's going to be horrific, you don't want any part of this. She wouldn't be stopped. They say when the casket was opened, the odor from Emmett's decaying body could be smelled from three city blocks away. The visual was beyond horrific. But as she looked at her son laying in that open casket, as the funeral director protested, She insisted on an open casket funeral for her son. People were angry. They said it was inappropriate. And his mother said this, let the people see what I've seen. There's no way I could tell this story. I want the whole world to see what they did to my boy. Almost two months later, the two killers were acquitted of murdering him. In November, they were acquitted of kidnapping him as well. Two months later, they sold their story to a reporter and made money off of it, confessing that, yes, in fact, we killed him. Neither man ever spent a day in jail. They made money from their crime. But the whole world saw what happened to Emmett Till. It couldn't be hidden. They couldn't hide from that visual. They couldn't hide from the reality. Tens of thousands of people came to his funeral and looked into that open casket, smelled the smell, saw the horrific sight. Jet Magazine came and ran pictures of what they did to Emmett. You can find it online. His murder became the pivotal moment in, in launching the Civil Rights Movement. In a similar way, you can go to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., and what you will find there is that it is full of graphic imageries. It's so totally overwhelming to go to that place. Those images from the Nazi death camp are some of the worst images you could possibly see. We went there years ago and my kids were so unsettled we couldn't make it through the museum. We had to leave. It was so overwhelming. Why would they do that? Why would they show those images? Isn't it offensive? The answer is yes, it's totally offensive. It's incredibly offensive. These things should be offensive and we should be confronted with the horrors of them lest we perpetrate them. But we're not just called to shine a light on the Holocaust of abortion. The message we've been given is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Church, that is, is our message. John Piper says this, our main calling and our greatest gift to the world is the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the only message that gives pardon for the agents of death and the power for agents of life. Since all of us at one time have been children of darkness, the blood-bought pardon of Jesus is precious to us all. That's where we start. We don't earn that pardon with pro-life action. It's a free gift. With that that pardon in hand, we proclaim the good news together. We make sure people know that we do not think justice for the unborn is the gospel. Salvation for sinners through faith in the blood-bought pardon of Christ is the gospel. But when that grips our souls, we are set free and empowered to live for justice. This issue of abortion is not the gospel. Like I said, even even as we read Proverbs 24, it's not a passage about abortion. But the gospel has something to say about abortion. This command in Proverbs 24 has something to say about abortion. We live here and now in this time. and We cannot turn our eyes away from this issue. The gospel motivates us to obey this command to rescue those who are being taken away to death, to hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. And there are many applications for this, and the gospel motivates all of them. But Malcolm, Malcolm Gladwell wrote this in The Tipping Point. When people are in a group, responsibility for acting is diffused. They assume someone else will solve the problem. They assume that because no one else is acting, the apparent problem isn't really a problem that's true it's easy to assume other people will handle things it's easy to look around at the church's inactivity on this and say well so certainly i don't have to be active on it it's obviously not that big a deal it's easy to hear someone else who is being active and go they got it covered godspeed brother and to never feel any weight of personal responsibility. It's very easy to do that. And the point of this message, it is not to say everyone in the church should be working relentlessly to end abortion. But I, I look at people who, every day off, every vacation, every opportunity they get, they are out there. They are working tirelessly, non-stop to end abortion, relentlessly. I'm not saying that is the call of every single Christian. In fact, there are other issues in the world. If it was the call of every Christian, there would never be a missionary to Africa, for instance. I'm not saying that. Don't accuse me of saying something I'm not saying. It would be unreasonable to say every Christian should work relentlessly on this issue, but here's what is not unreasonable to say, that every Christian should be doing something to end abortion. Something you can identify, by the way. Not just a vague something. I really hate it. That's my part to play in all this. No, something I can point to. Doing your part to rescue those who are being taken off to the slaughter. And so this is my simple pastoral plea to you this morning, to myself as well, of course. Fight against the temptation to apathy. Fight against the temptation to laziness. Fight against the temptation to fear man so much that you're willing to be disobedient to the Lord because of it. God calls you, Christian, to pour your life out for the sake of his kingdom. We are not here to coast. We are not here to say, I did my time, I'm old now, I'm just going to ride off into the sunset. We're not here to go through the motions. That's not our calling. We're not called to, to be consumed with maximizing our own comfort and happiness in our lives. Christ is too great for that. The darkness is too dark for that. Now may we be those who act, who Who interpose for the glory of God, for the sake of His kingdom, for the, the hope that the gospel offers this world. This is not a message condemning anyone. It is not a message con, con, accusing anyone of sin, except those involved in this act of murder. They're sinning for sure. But the, you, Christian, I'm not saying that you've been in sin. What I'm saying is examine your heart. As I must examine mine. Ask the Lord... What role do I have to play in this? It's a call to not hide our heads in the sand. It's a, it's a call not to excuse ourselves from involvement and action. It's a call to, to pour our lives out for the sake of the gospel. To see how we can be obedient to this command of Proverbs 24 and on top of that, obedient in regard to this great injustice in our world today. The very fact that we're Americans paying taxes mean. We have to do something about this issue because we're involved. It's our issue. We're the ones. There's no one but the church of Jesus Christ. There's no one else that's going to do it. Donald Trump's not going to do it for us. No, it's the church of Jesus Christ. And what a glorious thing that the Lord would call us into his service. We who deserve death no less than the abortion doctor who willfully does what they know is wicked. No more than the mother who, who willfully murders her child and then dances in the parking lot outside afterwards. We, we deserve no less judgment, and yet the Lord would rescue us and then call us as ambassadors of his kingdom, as his sons and daughters, to rescue those who are being led off to death. What a, what a glorious thing this is. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Lord, I know that this was a challenging difficult message to to preach and to hear. Lord, I pray now by your Spirit that you would safeguard the the enemy who would want to twist my words and cause people to take uh, the wrong kind of offense. Lord, we know the call of your gospel is an offense to our human selfishness, but Lord, I pray that you would safeguard your people from the lies of the enemy. Instead, by your spirit, you would motivate us to love and good works. Lord, that we would be faithful ambassadors of your kingdom. And Lord, there are are many, many areas where people are being carried off to the slaughter. And so we don't want to just zero in on this one and say, this is the only thing we care about. But Lord, we see the wickedness that has gone on around us. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring a speedy end to abortion in this nation. Lord, that our legislators would repent. Lord, that those who are are seeking even now to, to end the life of their child, that their eyes would be opened in your mercy, by your spirit. Lord, that you would bring an end to facilities like Whole Women's Health, like Planned Parenthood, these wicked, evil places. Lord, that your church would rise up and be strong. Lord, make us faithful in these days, these dark days around us. We pray, Lord, that we would redeem the time because the days around us are evil. And we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in us and through us. And we pray, Lord, in our zeal that you would guard us too from speaking the truth, but not speaking it in love. Lord, we desire to bring glory to you, to live lives of obedience and faithfulness, motivated by love for you and love for others. We pray these things for your sake, in Jesus' name, amen.